0: It was probably the, the most heartbreaking game I had ever been a part of as a player and there was a real good chance that we probably could have won the whole thing. I mean there's fond memories of that whole run but it still didn't end well.
1: Good evening everyone and welcome back to another episode of Skull Stories. I'm your host Mike Wapshall inside TCO Studios at Winter Park coming to you After an intense and physical but disappointing Vikings game on Sunday, they lose to the Carolina Panthers, but it's not time to panic. The Vikings still in good position. They're 10-3 after their 31-24 defeat to the Panthers, and they're coming home to play two games at home in a three-game stretch to close out the regular season. The Vikings still have their eye on the prize, and they can clinch the NFC North with a victory against the Bengals. From the current Minnesota Vikings, though, to a past Minnesota Vikings team, the subject of tonight's episode of Skull Stories is the 1987 Minnesota Vikings, an interesting team and season for a couple of reasons. The 1987 Vikings made an incredible and improbable run through the NFC playoffs, which we're going to talk about, and the 1987 season also included a player strike in the middle of the season, so we're going to talk about that tonight as well. And it's a little bit different of an episode because we're not going to have one person that you hear from who's going to tell you about all of that. We've talked to several members of the 1987 Vikings, and they're going to collectively describe the team and the season to you. I'm going to bring in right now, though, Craig Peters of the Vikings Entertainment Network, who's going to sort of introduce this topic because, Craig, you were the one who chatted with these players earlier this year when they were all in town for the Ahmad Rashad purple jacket ceremony before Ahmad went into the ring of honor. So, Craig, you had a chance to sit down along with Skull Stories producer, Nate Vaughn, and interview and talk to the players about the 1987 season, and we sure did learn a lot, didn't we?
2: Yeah, absolutely. You learned uh kind of like how the the magic kind of just formed around around an emerging team mm-hmm. that uh, kind of grew up, had to go through uh, quite a hectic uh, early part of the season, came out of the uh, strike and uh, really did well and then hit another rough patch, and then uh, just just hit this next level mm-hmm. uh, in the playoffs and it was it was quite magical and then quite uh, yeah. Unmagical.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm going to guess you've picked up on this now because you've been here <laughs> for almo- almost a handful of seasons. You, yes. Vikings fans feel slighted by the football gods. And ni- the 1987 season um, is artifact A, B, or C probably um, in, in that argument because that really was a season where it kind of felt like the Vikings year for a little while and then it was pulled out from under them right at the very end. I think just when you commit fully to
2: completely believing yeah. is, is the the notion that I've kind of picked up on, yeah. and then the rug gets pulled right out from right. under you. And and it can be like some really random occurrences that,
1: mm-hmm. that cause that too, and yeah. uh, that's just part of the game. Well, th- this is a meaty topic, the 1987 season, for a lot of reasons. So let's hear from some of the guys. Scott Studwell, Chris Dolman. Um, Carl Lee, Henry Thomas. You talked to all these guys, and we have a collection of sounds. So we're going to get to a bunch of different topics. But let's let's start just generally by hearing from some of those guys about the roster of the 1987 team, which maybe at the time you wouldn't call star-studded, but was turned out to be very talented and a bunch of intense competitors.
0: It, it was a strange year. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I think I think we had a really good football team defensively we were really good up front and and you know we had a lot of really good players offensively
3: what i'd probably say this that team was consisted of like players who were all working hard to get to the next level you know that that next contract that next uh level in the league you know getting to the pro bowl and doing all of that making their mark and it was enough of us that we felt like we were just on that verge of getting there.
1: If someone were to watch a 1987 highlight tape, who are the guys they would see?
0: Defensively, I mean, we you had Millard and Dolman and, yeah. and Henry Thomas, you know, Joey was playing and yeah. and Carl Lee was playing and, and you got Zimmerman and McDaniel wow. and Loudermilk and Tim Irwin and, you know, Darren Nelson and Wade Wilson was a quarterback because Tommy was Hurt. I mean it just you know um, AC uh, you know Steve Jordan we had a really talented team and it was a close team and it was you know it was I mean the star power on that football team was 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 pretty
1: good all right so that roster comprised of some Vikings greats enters the 1987 season looking to accomplish great things they start out really well and then the player strike happens it's a 24day strike. Week 3 was canceled, and then the strike came weeks 4, 5, and 6. And during that time, there were replacement players. And the replacement players were guys who were on the Montreal Alouettes in the CFL when that team folded up shop. Ex-USFL players, and then of course some random guys off of the street. There were some NFL stars, though, who chose to play through the strike. Those guys included Joe Montana and Doug Flutie, Steve Largen, a great receiver for the Seattle Seahawks, Randy White. About 15% of the NFL players played through the strike, but 85% did not. And so it's interesting, Craig, to sit in Stud's office, Scott Studwell's office, Mm -hmm. like we got to do, Mm -hmm. and watch him cringe and grit his teeth, talking about trying to survive and watch football during the strike. Yeah, I, I think anyone that's ever
2: maybe <laughs> screamed at a television before could mm-hmm. relate to, like, just crank the dial up even that much harder when, you know, you yeah. feel like you're supposed to be on the field. You've been on the field. You've started 2-0, and and now all that's happened is you're going to be 2-3 and right. at the
1: end of five games and in, in a hole to get out of. Right. So um, what's it like to be an NFL player and have um, the union go on strike and not be able to play? Our guys will tell you.
4: You know, uh, the strike um, affected all of us differently. But one of the things I think we, uh, we kind of missed was each other. Uh, we missed the locker room, we missed the, the uh, camaraderie, knowing that, you know, I'm playing for the man next to me. Those are some of the things that you miss when you, you're outside the game. And we were all in. You know, we were all young. We all had plenty of football left in us, and we were hungry.
0: That was, It was a tough year from a standpoint of just trying to stay focused on football with with everything else going on. With with the being unsettled with the with the labor and, and the strike, and the, it could have very easily, I think, torn apart the locker room. Um, if we didn't have enough people down there to help people understand what's going on and why this is happening and, and this is the reason why this is happening. And. Boy, it was
5: a great year for me. I mean, it was my rookie year. Uh, I became the starter re- really early. And then four weeks into the season, we get locked out or strike or whatever. And as a 21-year-old man, had very little understanding of what was going on. But I was fortunate enough to be on a team where there was enough guys that cared about the team itself that guided us along. They said, no, we're going to do this. I mean, when we were out, we practiced. You know, we had scheduled practices at high schools that 95% of the team would show up to,
0: and we'd go out and have a practice and and just kept working. We tried to organize stuff, but it was it was it was a little bit of a crapshoot too, you know. I mean, it was hard to keep people engaged the longer it went on and probably more so mentally than physically, uh, you, you know, because guys could easily go work out on their own. You could easily stay in shape. You could easily, but you're not getting spoon-fed with game plans every day and, and in it emotionally because, you know, you know you're not playing on Sunday. That was probably the hardest part. There wasn't a scheduled practice. You didn't
5: have to be there. Nobody it was not part of the the NFL but everybody showing up. If they can show up, why couldn't I? So it, it just made the young guys wanna to, wanna to be a part of it. It made you it made us close as a unit, you know, and our defensive line especially. I mean we develop a D line night out from that from that whole thing. So
0: and I think Steve Jordan did a great job with um, you know, letting everybody know what's going on, and 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 it was a tough time. It was a tough time for the league, um, you know, and it was a tough time for us. But you know, everybody had to go through it, um, and it was unfortunate. You know, I went through two strikes as a player, and never really bought into either one of them from the standpoint of employer-employee relationships, and, and I guess I was always of the mindset that. You know, these people own this football team, and and why should they give us half the money? <laughs> but that's okay. You know, I yeah. guess it, that's just kind of the way I was taught and the way I grew up. But
1: And so the coaches were the same coaches throughout. Were you allowed to talk to them during the strike?
0: Well, we weren't supposed to have a lot of interaction with them, yeah. but, I mean, they were stuck. I mean, they had to coach—they had to coach— yeah, this team that that they put together for him, and, and they had to coach and, guys
1: like us. Well, <laughs> trying, whatever. Instead of you. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: So right. you know. So I mean, I, I feel I felt bad for them,
1: but yeah. did you watch on TV?
0: Oh yeah, you did. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, God, that had to be just terrible. Oh yeah, it was awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, was. scream at
2: the TV yeah, yeah, like it was, like fans now. It was
0: bad. Uh huh. Yeah, we 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 didn't put together a very good strike team. Right. Okay. <laughs> but.
1: Relate right. kind of to the party on that one, I think. Right? Yeah. yeah, a little well, bit. But who's good at putting together strike teams? I mean, that's not nothing anyone really works on. You
0: know? No, no, and it's it's you know, I, I guess probably that maybe there was a mindset around here that this strike's never going to happen, and yeah. maybe we don't have to, you know, we don't have to be as proactive as maybe some of the other people were. But it is what it is, you know.
1: Okay, more Skull stories to come after this break, but before we go, join host Mike Musman along with Andrew Sendejo at Draculas in Invergrove Heights on Thursday at 5.30 p.m. for a live broadcast of Vikings Country. You could win some great prizes including tickets in the Miller Lite Lounge at U.S. Bank Stadium. Visit vikings.com slash vikingscountry for more info and a full schedule. Also, do you know someone with a heart of a Viking who deserves to go to super bowl 52 share their story and help us honor the most deserving fans in our community with a pair of tickets to super bowl 52 nominate fans at vikings.com slash heart of a viking or use the hashtag heart of a viking on social media more skull stories the 1987 viking season coming up after this Hey everyone, welcome back at Skull Stories. I'm your host Mike Wobshaw. We're going to get to the rest of this episode detailing the Vikings 1987 season in a minute. But first, if you want to hear previous episodes of Skull Stories and tons of other great Vikings content, here are a couple of ways you can do it. First, be the first to know breaking Vikings news, access video on demand, and get ticket alerts all on your phone with the Minnesota Vikings app. Download today in the App Store and Google Play. Also, The Vikings and KFAN Radio have teamed up to create the all-new Vikings channel on the iHeartRadio app. To hear exclusive interviews and breakdowns of your favorite team, download the free iHeartRadio app and search Minnesota Vikings. So, a really promising 2-0 start is spoiled by the player strike, correct? The Vikings go Mm 0-3 in the three weeks of the player strike, but they get hot coming out of the strike because all the guys are back. Studwell and his crew, they win five out of six games coming out of the strike and all appears to be well until... Uh, Nothing (laughs) like dropping three out of four, right? To to finish the season. (laughs) Yes,
2: and uh, that last game against uh, Washington here in Metrodome, Mm -hmm. uh, overtime loss, 27-24, late rally
1: by the Redskins, and was sparked by a backup quarterback. So a bit of serendipity, a positive result that comes from a negative occurrence, right? Because the Redskins quarterback gets hurt. Yes. The Vikings injure the quarterback. And who comes in as a replacement? Doug Williams. Doug Williams. To be
0: honest with you, I mean, we lost the last game and kind of snuck into the playoffs, you know, and I, I don't think anybody gave us a chance other than us. Uh, when we went to new orleans and and we kind of caught fire from there
3: we make it into the playoffs and it just it just all started to jail we just started to play one of the most amazing things i think for me in that time was seeing a chemistry that i've i'd never been part of i'd never been part of a team where your d-line is talking to you as a cornerback saying hey man if you can just hold him just a little bit longer i can get a sack and then you know us, as a secondary, talking about, man, keep putting that pressure on. It's making it easier for us. I and mean, we, we we appreciated what everybody was doing, and that chemistry was so special. The whole entire unit, DBs, linebackers, everybody, I mean,
5: there could be plays out there where we're not stopping somebody on the play. And you can say, "And hey, what's going on out there? Well, I can't beat that double team. You got to do, and we can work it out right then. And the next time we see that formation or that play, we're stopping it because we were close enough to we can talk, you know. You didn't mind saying, Hey, I guy's killing me. This guy, you know, can you do something to, and everybody worked around that. And it was a time where the egos were real low, you know, and everybody wanted to win. Everybody
0: wanted to do, wanted to be great at it. You know, went to New Orleans. Nobody expected us to win down there and we won handedly down there.
3: Um offensively we played great. And we were supporting each other and picking each other up. Nobody was complaining about a bad play. We just were looking to make big plays. And and before you know it, the game was over. And we were like, we did it.
5: It was unbelievable. uh, For me, it was great because I went to school at LSU. So a lot of people in New Orleans and all guys from college at the game. I had coaches from college, family from Houston. And to go in there and just destroy them was just phenomenal.
1: The really dramatic Vikings run to the playoffs starts in New Orleans where they come in as as fairly heavy underdogs for a playoff game and all at halftime they were just up 31 to 10. Yeah, yeah, you get an <laughs> yeah.
2: 84-yard punt return, a couple touchdown a couple other touchdown catches in yeah. the in the second quarter. Uh, you wind up rushing 50 times for 210 yards. That's, wow. that's a, a good thing. And, uh, you know, you had 80 offensive snaps compared to, to 45 for wow. the Saints. Yeah.
1: And so the Vikings go in there. They go down to New Orleans, and they win the game, and they advance. And in the next round, they play the San Francisco 49ers. Now, this is the like the golden age of the 49ers. This is, you know, it's Bill Walsh, who's the head coach, and it's Joe Montana and Jerry Rice and John Taylor and Roger Craig and Dwight Clark. And they go in as 11-point underdogs.
3: I think when we got to San Francisco, I know at least for the defense and for sure for the secondary, the thing that we were hearing was like, you know, Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, how do you stop that?
5: They were, you know, doubted the top team at that time. And uh, I remember coming home from New Orleans and having a meeting and coaches saying, Pack bags. We're going. We're leaving to go to practice, and we left and went to Arizona and stayed in Arizona for a week to practice, and then went on. And the whole time, when, when the media would come around, was well, Joe Montana, Joe Montana,
3: you know, Jerry Rice, running back Roger Craig, and it just got to a point where you were like, I mean, they're human too. Everybody was really like trying to prove that we belonged, and. You know, and, and one of the things you always knew was the best teams, you got to play the best. And it felt like everybody was out there thinking to themselves, I've got to play the best I can play. This is my opportunity. This is the biggest stage that probably any of us had been on at that moment, and we just showed up. We went in with a chip on our
5: shoulder. She's like, they don't know what black and blue division is. Let's go show them. And we, we were more physical than they were. We just went in and exerted our will that you're not going to beat us and then to have the greatest performance in playoff history by Anthony Carter. I mean, it was just unbelievable to watch. I mean, every time we were sitting down, he was doing something spectacular, and it just it fueled the fire for the defense to get the ball back to him. Let's see what he does. Now let's try to get the ball back for the offense, and that's that's exactly what happened for us.
3: When you got Anthony Carter on your team and you're and you're hearing all the conversation around the Jerry Rice, not taking anything from him. He was a great receiver. It, it kind of. And, and I, I would see AC every day in one on one. And I understood how great he was. And then even in that moment, he decides to return punts, which he hadn't done since college. And he gets he goes he goes back there and catches a punt and goes crazy. And obviously, when you're looking at the guy that you know is so good and you see him in practice, now he got a chance to, to be on that stage and go after their secondary and literally shred it to pieces. Even then, I thought, he's such a frail guy, you know. And But I watched him week in,
5: week in and week out, catch passes, make plays, you know, make people miss and just do incredible things to be. Such a slight, a man of such a slight build, and then uh, to have him on your team and then quiet, no chest beating, no nothing, just going out to do his job. It just, it just inspired you to go do the
1: same thing. And so, AC upstages maybe the greatest football player of all time, Jerry Rice, um, with a monster game in the divisional round of the playoffs, which leads the Vikings to the NFC Championship game. And, oh, here we go again, the Washington Redskins. The team the Vikings played in Week 17. The team whose quarterback was knocked out by the Vikings. And here's Doug Williams leading the way for the Redskins, right? Just on a roll. Mm-hmm. He's,
2: he's been uh, – he, he also found some magic.
1: Yeah. Now, this was a 17-10 game the Vikings lost um, with some dramatic plays at the end of the game, including a dropped pass. Um, near the goal line that would have given the Vikings definitely a first down, maybe even a touchdown. But the crazy part about this game that we were talking about, um, the number of possessions in this game—a 17 to 10 game—and you said there was like an 29, walk, 29 <laughs> possessions. Like you should basically count on 12 possessions in a game usually. That's that's pretty fair. 29 combined yeah. possessions in this game, so you're getting about four more possessions than average in this game. But a very dramatic game for the Vikings playing the Redskins in the NFC title game.
0: We had been on the road for, you know, three weeks, um, and I remember walking fourth quarter, the end of the third quarter, we switched ends. I was walking down with Doug Williams, who was the quarterback of the of the, of the Redskins, and you know the whole conversation was, you know, 15 minutes from now one of us is going to be in the Super Bowl. Wow. And, and just unfortunately the wrong guy went.
5: To go in and out the game and to be so close to it, it was just heartbreaking. And to see, and the, when they show it, the, the, they show that last play, it's just like, oh my God, how close were we, you know? Uh, one of the hardest
4: times of my life, uh, I played in that game twice, uh, lost both times, so I never made it to the Super Bowl, but it was also one of the happiest times it was one of the times where that uh, you realize that how important your teammates were, and uh, how important it is to have that unity, to have the support of the community and the fans across uh, you know America that uh,
0: supports uh, the NFL and and the Minnesota Vikings. I mean, that was just, that was probably the the most heartbreaking game I had ever been a part of as a player. Um, I mean that was, uh, I mean we went to the NFC Championship game my rookie season. We went, lost to Dallas, and I thought to myself that you know H- heck this is going to be easier. We're going to do this every year, and and it didn't happen till ten years later, and you know we just we didn't get it done, and and there was a real good chance that we probably could have won the whole thing, you know, but it didn't happen. Um, so, I mean, there's, there's fond memories of that whole run, yeah. but it still didn't end well.
1: To hear the disappointment in Scott Studwell's voice right there, you know, um, after the two-part episode of School Stories that we had with Scott Studwell, I saw Pete Bursich tweeted and saying, there is no Viking who deserves a Super Bowl more than Scott Studwell, you know? And I thought that was kind of a poignant comment from Pete, and I agree with him. I mean, mm-hmm. Stud personifies, you know, what a Minnesota Viking is, you know, and I would be so happy for a lot of people, um, you know, for for when the Vikings win a Super Bowl, but no one more so than Scott Studwell. And after the 1987 season is over, Craig, you have to move on to 1988.
2: Right. I think uh, it was it was in their minds time to really capitalize on this uh amount of success you know this this was really coming out of a couple of rough years before this and so they they start getting pro bowls and you know going deep in the playoffs and so you think all right well this is this is where i'm going to cash in as well so even though they were such a tight-knit group bonded in part by the the strike and then what they did together on on that magical run it, there was still a little bit of, of uh, battling for what they thought they were due. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't fully affect the success of the team negatively because the 88 team was 11 and 5 and also made it to the playoffs and, and went 1 and 1 that season. But for, for whatever reason, they just never got that group of players, never got that close again.
0: There were just so many, there were so many highs and lows during the course of that season with, you know, starting out strong and, and losing those three games and then playing well in the middle of the season and then kind of maybe even underachieving a little bit at the end. Um, beat two really good football teams and, and lost to another really good football team that ended up winning it all, so... Uh, we were as good as anybody in the league as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Um, maybe
3: it's uh, – I don't know. We still had a chance, and we didn't get it done. So, In the moment when we were playing, I felt like this was a team that, man, we were going to be great. I can remember saying at halftime, remember this feeling, because this is going to be the same team that's going to be back. We know now what we can do.
4: Well, what we learned there was definitely our potential. We learned that we couldn't achieve anything we wanted to achieve uh, as a team. Um, you know, the guys who were
5: in that locker room were locked in. It fueled me because being a, uh, a rookie and coming into that, and then year after year, all I wanted to do was, I want to repeat
3: that. It was like a drug. I want to get that again. And that's what we'd strive for every year after that. I, I, this is probably the disappointing piece of it. But I'd say in that eighty seven season, we were probably as good as we could as good as we could be based on the circumstances around us because we were working hard to get the next level. We all a bunch of pro Bowl guys came out of that season. Um and then unfortunately, that off season, the fight for the money, the arguments over like who's not getting it and not getting paid. and the, the fight was so difficult to get to get paid. And at that point, you know, and you don't want to make it sound like it's about money, but gosh, you know, we had so many guys in the Pro Bowl. We had so many guys that had reached that that pedestal that was the mark. And then what happened, you know, a lot of guys didn't. It took, it took them all the way through to the end of the season uh, or the beginning of the next season to even get signed. Some guys didn't get signed until we were in camp. And by the time that fight was over— it was like oh gosh that was that took a lot of air out of that next year's team and you know when we just didn't play well
1: all right the 1987 season as you've heard a dramatic season lots of good things happened but of course um at the very end it didn't go the vikings way and we're hoping craig that the 2017 season is going to have a different ending for the Vikings and for Vikings faithful,
2: absolutely. That's uh, hope is hope is a great thing, a yeah. powerful thing, isn't it? Yeah,
1: it is. And if it is to um, to finish the right way, you'd think um, that would include getting back on the winning track against the Cincinnati Bengals this Sunday. The game is at noon at US Bank Stadium, and you can hear the game right here on the Fan. Paul Allen, P. Burridge, Greg Coleman, and Ben Lieber will bring you the call from US Bank Stadium. But really quickly, Craig, um, previewing the Bengals game. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's put the Carolina Panthers game in the rearview mirror. All right. Let's look ahead Done. to the Cincinnati Bengals. What do you expect?
2: I really want to see the the secondaries' efforts led by Xavier Rhodes against A.J. Green, mm-hmm. especially fresh off the, the recent work that they did against Julio Jones. And I also want to see Vikings kind of recenter themselves and, and not make some of the critical
1: um, mistakes. Yep, yeah, it was an uncharacteristic loss with uncharacteristic mistakes, so hopefully the Vikings can rebound and get back on the winning track against the Cincinnati Bengals again that game Sunday at noon. All right, thanks, Craig. Appreciate it. Thanks. On behalf of everyone everyone. everyone from the 1987 team uh, who spoke to you tonight and Craig Peters and Skull Stories producer Nate Vaughn. We thank you all for listening. This episode of Skull Stories is over. Hope you have a great evening, everyone.